0: Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Well, good morning to each of you. We're going to dive right in to the scriptures, so I'm going to ask you to pull out your Bibles uh, or your, your phones, tablets, whatever you're going to use to bring up the scripture. You can go to the Bible app, which we are actually on the Bible app, the Holy Bible app. So if you want to go to the U version, you can go in there into events, tap on events, and then when you get there, you can find LEFC. And if you tap on that, it'll show all the scriptures we're using this morning. And uh, so feel free to take advantage of that. Uh, if you are here for the first time in a while or you are new I would say that you you you're coming in at a time where we're about two-thirds of the way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount it's a sermon that's found in Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 preached by Jesus uh, likely to be one sitting but could have possibly been over a, a few days or or uh, weeks but What is important to understand is that Jesus taught this early on in his ministry and it was to create a, if you will, a philosophy of ministry, a philosophy of God and a philosophy for life uh, juxtaposed to the philosophy that had been led out before them and taught before them by the religious leaders of their day. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5 in particular, it said that it, unless your standard of what you think is righteous rise above the Pharisees, then you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that was an alarming statement in chapter 5 because the Pharisees were considered the most righteous among them. And so if their standard of righteousness does not, it does not suffice for God, then what do you do? How do you live up to anything beyond uh, what they have? And that's where Jesus gives us the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5 and speaks to the person that God loves and blesses and affirms. And then for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he takes on some of the fallacies that had developed that created a very thin faith, a very superficial faith, one that is not deep and deeply rooted. And so that's where we're at today as we're continuing in this sermon uh, looking at the layering uh, that God sees, because while man puts a lot of value on the exterior and what he sees or she sees, God looks at the heart. Where is the condition of your heart? Where is it focused? What are it? its objects of worship? What are its values? And so as we've looked over the last few weeks, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And you will see it by the way you lived out and what your values are and what you'll decide according to even at the front of of disobeying God to hold on to something more great here on this earth. Well, today he goes on and he brings the the bridge uh, even more narrow and the road even more narrow and the door even narrower. And so we're going to look at verse 13 of chapter 7 and verse 14. Very simple. It's going to be one of the shortest uh, texts we'll be using in this series. So it says, enter through the narrow gate. So that's the charge. We are called to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and few find it. So, I have a question for you, before we dive into understanding all the implications of what is said in those two verses. I want to know... What road did you take to get to LEFC this morning? What road did you take? I I, I flew over this campus uh, this past uh, during we were when we were constructing and and you'll see this picture of the aerial of why we were under construction, but you can see all the roads that lead to LEFC. Which way did you take? Well, it depends if you're coming from the south, Mannheim Township, or if you're coming from the east in the Ephrata or Denver area, if you're coming from the west, Mannheim, or if you're coming from southern Lebanon County, uh, you would have taken 501 down in. So the roads make sense, kind of. Now, if you come from where I'm from, the roads are a little straighter. So uh, this is a road that I might take to get home. Now, you can't really tell what state that is, but let me just say that in order to get to some place really, really good, sometimes you have to go through the state of misery, <laughs> or otherwise known as Missouri. Then you get to Kansas, which you'll see the next picture is indeed Kansas. That's uh Uh, A beautiful, wide-open, panoramic view. You don't have to put the panoramic uh, thing on your phone to get the panoramic shot. That is Kansas at its full. And uh, continuing on here, uh, you'll experience where my feet have now taken me. That's Rossville. (laughs) See how Kansas just stands out compared (laughs) to Rossville? Rossville. So I live in Rossville. I'm a proud citizen of there. Uh, yeah, it's, and that was a snowy day uh, recently. <laughs> so uh, again, roads can take us many different places. Uh, how about uh, in the western part of our country? Uh, many of you have traveled to Colorado. Uh, and this is one of my favorite places to visit. Uh, and, and we got to go there in 2018 as a family. And uh, this was a shot from the side of one mountain looking across the valley. And then we drove from there up into Wyoming, and uh, we've got to see the bluffs uh, as you go up into Wyoming. And and that road that we're on there is taking us to Sheridan where we have friends in Sheridan, Wyoming. And then uh, we went over to Yellowstone, and uh, that's the gate going into or leaving Yellowstone, depending on uh, which direction you're going. But again, believe it or not, you can stay on Blacktop from Lidditz, Pennsylvania and get to Yellowstone, never leaving it. That's the fascinating thing, that that all the roads are connected, and they keep going. and, And depending where you turn is to where you end up. But sometimes these roads end. They end at the seashore, or they end at a river, or they end at a big lake, or the big ocean. And so if you see a picture of South Africa like this, as soon as you get over there, you're driving on a different side of the road, but it still looks like Kansas to me. But then uh, you got the roads of South Africa, and then I had the privilege of being on the roads in Azerbaijan, in Baku. And they have strange buildings there, but beautiful nonetheless. But the roads, again, were familiar because they were on the correct side of the road when I was driving there. But then there was nothing more fun for me than to be on the roads in this particular country, Israel. Being in Israel, there was something pretty special. Now, on this particular image, you are seeing from the top of Masada, looking down over a road that comes into Masada, but that big lunging lunging path was built by the Romans to besiege and captivate and capture those that were on the top of Masada shortly after A.D. 70 when they destroyed Jerusalem. But when you're at the bottom of the trail, this is what it looks like. You're looking up, and they build a road, and again, there was about, uh, from what I understand, a few hundred people that were up there, and, uh, and they were building this ramp to get up there and eventually take out that remnant of Israel up there. But it was a Roman road, and we understand what Roman roads are because that's what our road systems patterned after. But then there's the road, the road of all roads, and that's to Jerusalem, when we were coming into Jerusalem and they were playing music in our vehicle that was talking about coming to Jerusalem. In fact, there are many songs that are written about coming to Jerusalem. Because people were coming to Jerusalem for, to make sacrifice, to worship, and to uh, praise God. And so there were often many songs written in that, those journeys that were brought them to this hill uh, in the Moriah Mountains. And so here it is. That is a picture from the Mount of Olives looking upon Jerusalem But in particular, in the center of that picture is the eastern gate, which Jesus says he is coming back and he will enter there. And so that was a very profound moment for me to see from over the Mount of Olives where it says that Jesus will come. And he will come from the east and they'll see him over the hill, the Mount of Olives, arising and coming. And then will come to the temple and set up himself as king. But there was a road before Jesus was known as king. That he walked. And this road is this one. The Via Della Rosa. Seems kind of simple doesn't it? Narrow. But it's going to one place. And for Jesus when he was carrying that cross. Every step that he took with agony. After having been beaten. Was for the mission of loving and saving people to bring unto his Father. He did this in obedience to the the mission of God because God loved people so much that he gave his Son, and you're going to hear this throughout the sermon, that he gave his Son up so that we could have hope. But it's a single road. As Jesus took a single road of carrying his cross to create this opportunity, this bridge for you and I, so also then for us. It's the same single road to connect with Jesus. Here's the sad truth, going back to the text in verse 13. A key statement that you need to hear as part of what it's saying. The majority of people will get God's design for life wrong. Verse 13 says, enter through the narrow gate. That's our charge. But wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. They enter through the wrong gate. They've chosen the wrong path, which then says that the majority of people will get the design for life That God has established wrong. This is important to let it ruminate inside of you. Because today what has happened is that our idea of God. And our idea of what God would want from us. Is established by the ruling majority of our culture. Rather than the narrowness that God has already designed, established and written about in his word. I've heard it said, and I'm not kidding you, this isn't by some social media stuff. I have heard it said by some modern church leaders in my presence, right before me, even in private conversations. Statements like this. Our understanding of God has evolved to a better place. When explaining away biblical views that have long been established and taught about in Scripture... Areas such as our understanding of marriage, sexuality, and other things that, like, in the way that we would say is the right thing to do by business and interaction. And even things such as immigrants and people that are foreigners. Don't assume that all of us have these views of God correct. The scripture is very clear on these matters. We tend to pick and choose which ones we go after. But the reality is, God has established himself and his heart for all time, and it is not evolving. Since when does society inform the church as to a better and more informed view of God than what the Bible teaches? Let me ask that rhetorical question again. Since when does society inform the church as to a better and more informed view of God than what the Bible teaches? Why is it that the society is teaching many of our churches a better way as if the majority in scripture has ever been right? Think about it. Every example of a mass movement In Scripture, where the masses were stating a particular direction, they were usually advocating against what God would want. But yet somehow, society understands God's view of humanity better than the church. Quote, unquote. So that leads me to say this. If narrow is the true way that we're to go, and many are on a path that gets God wrong, then it should be understood that if there is a shift in the church's beliefs, and it is towards a more societal, prevailing view, then it is likely heretical. If you were here last Sunday to hear that message and to hear from the heart of my wife and I, as we struggled through some issues of worry and anxiety and how we've misplaced many of our values, that was a very heartfelt, tender message. If you haven't noticed, this one's not there. Jesus is not giving a wiggle room. He's not assaging it. He's not making it easier. He is saying no Broad is the way and many will go there and it will lead someplace you do not want to go. And narrow is the way and few find it that is according to the values of my heart. So if there is a shift in the church's beliefs and is towards that which society would embrace more holistically, it's likely heretical. So what are the values that establish a path, a road. What creates the building of a road? I had this question uh, that, that, that uh, uh, was said between uh, myself and, and a couple of our staff because we're trying to figure out where to paint the walking lines through our parking lot. In fact, I even had a conversation this morning with Don Hoover out on the parking lot. Where should we place these walking lines? Because the reality is you guys will walk where you want to walk. We're just trying to figure out where to lay paint, right? <laughs> to which one person who's not too far removed from college said, you know, good colleges figure it out. When they build a new building, they let the students make a path before they lay the sidewalk. Usually it's the most, you know, the, the most direct path that, that made from where they're going from one place to another. And, and, and it's the easiest path, right? So what are then the common principles that create the wide road? What are the principles that develop that? What is, what are they, what is it saying that, that most people say, that's a road I want to walk? Well, here's what I kind of found. As I was thinking through this and then even some of the reading I was doing, what are the common principles that, that create these paths and roads? First one, it's an American value primarily, but it is as long as you are happy. As long as you are happy. Or, how about this love never says anything that is hard to hear or makes you feel bad. Man, I tell you, there's a parenting style out there right now that says we shouldn't do anything that would disrupt our kids' desired patterns. It's dangerous principles. That will not go well when they start realizing society does require navigating the wishes of other. But love would never say anything that would make you get a little bit antsy in the seat. Or make you feel bad. Mankind is also said to be inherently good. Again, these are the principles that that would be said of society that, that we can all embrace, so to speak. Mankind is inherently good. Believe in yourself, many will say. Or, there are many paths to God. Many paths to God. And then some would say, if he's there. All beliefs are equally valid. Except for when I don't like it. What is good for you is good for you. And what is good for me is Good for me. And then this really confusing message that all bio- biological life is precious and needs a voice. Now, unless it fringes upon your choice. It's interesting to me that we're becoming more and more protect the tree, protect the plant, protect the whale. Protect the endangered species. And those who give their lives to protecting those things will say, I'm trying to give them a voice because no, they don't have one for their own. And I want to protect them. It is amazing to me that in that group, 90% of them are pro-choice. Now, you need to hear. I actually do think we need to take care of our earth. I believe God champions the earth that he created. We should be aware of how we can care for this earth. But it does not make sense to me. When we champion the tree but we cannot champion an infant in the womb. Wide is the path. Wide is the path. Because inherent in wide is the path is this idea That each of us gets to establish that which we want for ourselves and what's best for ourselves. And it usually does not consider anyone else. That's why it's wide. And many are on it. And so as I said at the beginning of this, the majority of people living on this earth will get God's view of life wrong. But it's also true that the majority of people on this path that is wide and has a broad gate will be destroyed as well. The majority of people on this path will be destroyed. Why do I say the majority? Because some will be rescued from it. But it is true. For those who end their life on that path, there is an end that is not something to a desire. It says, again, Jesus' words, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? I want to hear you say it. Okay, it's not me, right? So if somebody's hearing this online, somebody is uh, hearing this on the radio, you need to know, it doesn't, it's Jesus' word. Those who are on this wider path that thinks that the beliefs and the values I've just spoken of is on a path that will be destroyed and they themselves will be part of that destruction. What is interesting is that because this wide path is infiltrating the church. And the church is starting to say, we're, we're growing in our evol- and, and evolving in our view of God. And we're understanding him better. Even if it's an affront to what scripture says. What is happening, a natural effect of that is, because you're redefining God, you're also going to redefine his wrath. You're going to redefine his view on judgment. You're going to redefine his view on his his disdain for sin. Verse 13 says, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Many. And Jesus knows this. That's why he came. It's to provide the bridge to where life can be found. But we need to understand that because this movement of of redefining God is, is infiltrating our churches, it is not a surprise to me that it is also a growing trend that we are redefining destruction. We're redefining hell. There is a growing, renewed movement in the church to diminish the idea that hell even exists at all. Because, they would say, their understanding of God, being God is love, and being a loving God, there is no way such a God could create a place such as hell, as the Bible describes it to be. What is interesting to me, you, you might have heard it said, that there is more discussion in the Gospels about hell than there is about heaven. And I want to tell you that is not accurate, but hell and uh, heaven, uh, I mean, sorry, hell and eternal destruction is mentioned, though, 160 plus times in the New Testament. 70 of those references are spoken by Jesus himself. So what is true, while it may not be true that Hell is spoken of more than life or heaven, eternal life. It is true that the person who talked about hell more than anybody else is Jesus. It's also true that Jesus talked about life and life to the full more than anyone else. But he did not do it at the cost of what he was saving people from. That's why he is referred to as Savior. If there is no destruction, if there is no punishment for sin, then is there a need to call Jesus Savior? Because there's nothing to be saved from. Yet that is referenced throughout the New Testament. He is indeed Lord and Savior. We make regular attempts as human beings. And I'm going to bring myself into this because it's a natural tendency that we regularly try to make God into our image rather than letting God inform us of his image through his word. Because we tend to do this in our interactions with other people. We justify our mean spirit towards another by saying, well, God doesn't like that. So then we justify the fact that we just beat them to a pulp verbally with the wrong spirit because we said, well, because God doesn't like it, then his behavior would be similar to my behavior and desire for behavior in that moment. We make God into our image way too often at the cost of giving a distorted view of him to the rest of the world. And getting God wrong, thus the view of ourselves wrong, will have a devastating impact outcome because if we make God what he is not and we make man what he is not and we start making man being inherently good and and God being more like man then what is the message of salvation that we're even talking about is there a need to Hear Jesus when he says, I've come to give life and life to the full. Is there a need to hear from God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and not perish? You see, there's a dangerous effect When we try to make the wide road the right road. Verse 14. But small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So few travel the road and enter through the gate. That leads to life with God. As I said before, the majority of people will get God's design for life wrong. It is also true that the majority of people as a result of getting God's design for life wrong. That they will experience the destruction that God says is coming for those who deny his son Jesus. And so then Jesus, when he began in verse 13 by saying, Enter through the narrow gate. He was referring to himself. It is a small, singular gate. And it is a narrow path that gets there. And only a few of us will find it. Now, let's juxtapose some principles here. If the wide road was designed by the values I spoke of earlier, what are the values of the narrow road? I call it Jesus' unpopular life principles. And I begin with this. There is truth, and it is not relative. It is absolute. If we can let that stand first then we can understand the importance of what comes next. That pleasing God is greater than anybody's personal happiness. Pleasing God is greater than pursuing your own happiness. God, of course, desires for you to be happy, but happy is not the mission that we're on. Pleasing God is the greatest thing you can do with your life. God is at the center of the universe, according to Jesus, not you and I. We are not inherently good, yet we desire to be. And that's good, because that's the God-given desire, that we want to be more like him. But we start from a place of a sinful soul. With God's help, again, these principles still growing, with God's help, we can be that which we cannot be on our own. With God leading the way, with God initiating, with God being the one who is the Lord and leader of our life, then through the power of the cross and what Jesus accomplished and the gift of the Holy Spirit, then we can live the life that will be fulfilling and full. Hope on this road, is not found in our own character. It is found in the character of God that His promises are worthy of our trust. As we're walking a narrow road as compared to those who are on a wide road, it's going to require trust and faith that what God says is sufficient and true. And lastly, the unpopular life decisions that Jesus is advocating for and proclaiming is that we indeed need him. We can't do it on our own. These are unpopular values. As soon as you take man out of the center and you put God in the center that's about pleasing him, then we begin to interpret the things that are around us based on the character of God, not the character of the desires of man. Which is why few find this road. Because we're self-absorbed creatures that think there's hope found from within. Each of us are our own savior, capable of making it on our own. Contrary to popular statement at every funeral, Very few enter into life eternal with God. Which is why proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing you or I could ever do beyond receiving that by faith for ourselves. Jesus is the exclusive gate says, again, enter through the narrow gate, but small is that gate, and narrow is that road that leads to life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Said by Solomon, hundreds of years ahead of Jesus. We tend to lean on our own understanding. And as a result, we miss out on the path that that God has created. In Luke chapter 9 and in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come to give life and life to the full. He's not a killjoy. He is not somebody trying to make you feel like you're imprisoned. No, he recognizes that when you operate by the principles I spoke of earlier, that's a wider path. Why is it that depression and anxiety and worry are prevalent among the wide path? Why is it that there's a sense of hopelessness that when you consider all the fruits of the wide path, it is not a popular desired end, but yet they continue to walk there. It's more difficult up front to yield your will to another. But when you yield your will to God and to his son Jesus, you'll find that life increases With value and time. And the fruit is so worth it. But Jesus says. That he is the exclusive gate. In John chapter 10 verse 9. He says I am the gate. I am the gate. That only you can enter through. No one can enter through it. But those who he's called. And by those he is called, they must choose the single gate. Jesus is exclusive. There are not many paths that lead to God. Jesus said with his own mouth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus speaking. You can't get there any other way. He is the fulfilling eternal life exclusive gate. Life can only be found on that path. And eternal life can only be found on the other side of that gate. But we need to understand that while he talks so exclusive about himself in this gate, his message that he does repeatedly is filled with life. And life to the full. It says in in Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus out of obedience to the father. Was obedient unto death. Even death on the cross. Then the father says. And I am going to make his name. Above any other name. That the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. That he is Lord. The obedience that Jesus had into the Father was motivated by his love for the Father and his love for us. And then the love of God was what motivated him to ask Jesus to do what he did. That's why John 3.16 is so important to the root of our story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we have tried to create other paths to become reconciled to the Father God. Ignoring you, trying to put holes in the wall to create a new gate. Or we've put the falsehood of saying we've got to get clean to come to you when you say come to you to get clean. Lord, we have made a mess of your gospel, the truth message, the good news, where you came to seek and save those who are lost. We are and continue to be in need of saving. Our flesh is weak and corrupt. But yet there's markers inside of us that longs for a relationship and reconciliation to the Father God. And so I pray, Jesus, that you will then, by your Holy Spirit tap into anybody's heart that's hearing this message that has rejected you maybe has gone on to believe that the answer is them and no one else that you will reveal yourself in this moment and that you will reveal the condition of their heart but then offer that loving invitation where you say I love you that's why I died for you come to me I ask for that invitation to come to hearts now. And then, Jesus, I also pray, forgive us for making you and the Father into our image. Forgive us. Because there are consequences beyond what we know. So move in this moment now, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. you stand with us. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot create any other path to get to God. The question is, what is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Or is he merely just a counseling figure that you'll consult when necessary? There's an opportunity to give your life to Jesus here this morning. I'll be standing up front here Would be glad to pray with you and to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. There will be people in the encounter room to my left, your right, uh, going out the doors here that would be glad to talk to you as well. We want to make sure you know the true Son of God. I trust that this morning you more greatly appreciate, for those of you who are in Christ the importance of making sure the word of God is defining God in his own image and that we don't make him what we want him to be and therefore we align ourselves with his character as he's written about in his word that's called the word of God not the word of man so we trust that you will continue to pour in to that which he's taught about himself and then when we gather together to be enriched by that word so that we can align our lives and live a life that can truly be that city on a hill that can't be hidden because people need to see the light of God. He desires to have people come to him. Why is Jesus not returned yet? It's because he desires more and more to spend eternity with him. It's out of love that he waits and we're a part of that conduit. So I pray in the name of Jesus that we all walk out of here thankful for a Savior and grateful for the character of God and grateful that he gave us his words so that we can know him more. Amen. You're dismissed.